Welcome to this podcast for Classical 91.5. I'm Julia Figueres. In April, a new show joins our Saturday lineup, Feminine Fusion, with host and producer Diane Jones from WCNY in Syracuse. Diane has made the journey to our studios to chat about her show. Welcome, Diane. Thank you, Julia. I'm so pleased to be here with you. It's great to have you here. So tell us about your show. Feminine Fusion is a show, the the tagline that I use is celebrating women who create, perform, and inspire. I talk every week about women in classical music who are influencing or have influenced in the past uh, what is going on in the classical music scene. Not just composers, but conductors, teachers, musicians. Uh, I've even done a show on Women who have influenced music, music dedicated to wives and mothers, music inspired by the poetry of women. And so it really is trying to talk about more than just the creation of individual pieces, but how women are making their way in the classical music world. Why did you think it was necessary to create Feminine Fusion? You know, 10 years ago, I didn't think it was. 10 years ago, I would have said, why do we need this? Because I am not experiencing discrimination. I'm a composer myself, and I am not experiencing gender bias. But the more I looked into it and the more I started researching and the more I started finding out about some of the biases that are still around, the more I realized it is important not to denigrate the work of men, but to ensure that women's work and women's contributions are brought into the same light. It really shocked me when I saw the quote from 2013 when uh, Vasily Petrenko, just a few days before Marin Alsop became the first woman to conduct at the last night of the BBC proms, say that women should not be conductors because it is too distracting to see a woman in front of an orchestra. They're going to be distracted by the fact that she is a woman and she won't be able to conduct effectively. And I thought, this is 2013. Who could possibly be thinking this in this day and age? Apparently, Vasily Petrenko. (laughs) Well, and and then we have uh, Bruno Montavani, who said that women can't conduct because of family issues. You know, when you're talking about the hardships of traveling, Women are less suited to it than men to travel and conduct and then get immediately back on the plane and travel to the next performance. And that means they're neglecting their family. And someone who was interviewing him at the time said, men are doing the same thing. Men are leaving their children behind. He said, yes, but it's a problem of maternity. And again, we're talking just a few years ago. We're talking in the 2010s. That's when it really kind of hit home to me, and I started stepping back and looking a little more at my own experiences and realizing that I've experienced some of that, not to that extent and not that overt. But when you start realizing it and you start looking a little more objectively, there is an unconscious bias that is there, and it is an unconscious bias. It's a bias for the most part of experience. This is how it has been for so long. Uh, when in 19, even as early as 1952, when they started doing blind auditions for orchestras, because that was the thought, blind auditions are going to ensure that the talented musicians 
get the spots. And blind auditions have increased the number of women in orchestras. It's now about 50-50. And before that, we were lucky if we had 5 to 10%. And yet that curtain comes down. And when that curtain does come down, sometimes it doesn't go the way that somebody might want it to go. It really doesn't. But in, in 1952, the Boston Symphony Orchestra essentially did an experiment. They were holding auditions, and they were holding blind auditions. And what they expected was a much more equitable ratio of men to women. What they found is it was still overwhelmingly men who were getting past the first round. And then what they did is they asked all of the auditioners to take off their shoes. And all of a sudden, 50% of the women made it past the first round because they didn't hear the high heels clicking. And it was an unconscious bias. They knew that it was a woman. And so they that female bias clicked into place. And that's what had affected it. So taking those shoes off and everybody going up barefoot made the difference. I think one of the hard things is macro versus micro. Uh, we were in a discussion last night. I was in a panel discussion about women in the music business. And the question was, have you ever been in a room where you've made a suggestion in a meeting and, and uh, it's just been ignored? And then a guy makes the same suggestion. And they, they said, wow, that's a great idea. And I thought about it. And I said, no, that's never happened to me. That doesn't mean it doesn't happen. In fact, it happens all the time. But one of the things that I put to you is that we probably have a large group of people who have never really experienced what you're talking about. How do you tell them that feminine fusion is necessary? That's an interesting question because that's similar to my own philosophy. It, you have to be careful when you're talking about bias, that you're not projecting your expectations on the situation. If you approach every situation with the idea that I am going to be told no because I'm a woman or because of my race or because of my religion or because of my gender identity, if you approach the situation with the expectation that any negative is a result of that bias, then you are going to attribute that bias to the negative. It is difficult to step back sometimes and get rid of our expectations and say, why was that no said to me? And pay attention to what the conversation has been in the room. Pay attention to, did someone else make that exact same suggestion? And when he made it, it was accepted. And when I made it, it was not. And I have been in a room with that. I was in uh, business for many years before I went into the music industry. And I've been in those situations What I'm trying to do with Feminine Fusion is to show that your approach will make the difference. These are women who are simply doing what they do. Marin Alsop is not, did not enter the conducting world with the intention of kind of turning it on its head and changing that, that bias toward women conductors. She went into the conducting world because that is what she wanted to do. And that's my purpose with Feminine Fusion is to show that that determination simply verifies and brings out the knowledge that women are on a par with their male counterparts. 
If you listen to a piece of music and you don't know the composer, you don't know the piece of music, you will never know if it was written by a man or a woman. You will not. I, I guarantee you cannot know that if it, that whether it was a man or a woman who wrote it or a man or a woman who performed it, short of vocal work, just by listening to the music. You may recognize Mozart. You may recognize Jennifer Higdon. I have a style to my own music. My husband can always pick out what I've written. But without knowing that, you're not going to hear it. And that's a big part of what I'm trying to do is show that you can't hear the difference. When I do a show on Nadia Boulanger, most of the composers on that show are men because she influenced, she taught Aaron Copeland, she taught Donald Byrd, she taught Quincy Jones. It's her influence that makes the difference. And that's really what I'm trying to do is help to highlight the positive things and the, the positive contributions that women are making. Did your composition work, your work as a composer, play in at all to the decision to create feminine fusion? In a sense, yes, because there is, um, there are some biases in the music world, and they're not all gender bias. Uh, I've seen competitions. I came to composing fairly late in life, and I remember going to my undergraduate professor one time and saying, I would love to enter this composition competition, but the age cutoff is 41 years old as of August 3rd of this year, and I'm 42. That is the most bizarre age cutoff and the most bizarre date. And she said, that's because whoever has organized it has somebody they want to win, and that's their birth date. It really highlighted that there are certain things that are going to create a bias, that are going to create scenarios that we don't have control over. And I want to make sure that I can I can kind of bull my way through those things and show that it shouldn't matter. It shouldn't have an effect for my composing, for other people's composing. The classical world is inside of orchestras getting much better, but on other fronts, not so much. And what I see a lot of are uh, orchestras that say, we're going to highlight women. And they do all of this stuff in a season. And then the next season, bupkis. I, and, 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 of course, it's well known that there are very few women up on that podium. So how does the classical world get over itself and chip away at, at this particular problem? Some orchestras are, are really working hard to do that, and there are organizations pr cropping up that are tr striving to do that. There is the Venus Organization in the U.K., which is striving to do a lot of programming of music by women composers. The BBC Proms and the Aldberg Festival have pledged a 50-50 balance in their male-to-female composition ratio or commissioning ratio by the year 2022. The Met has decided to commission Janine Tesori and Missy Mazzoli. The first two women they've commissioned, they, they did a... a an opera by Dame Ethel Smith in 1903, and then there was not another woman on the Met until 2016 with Kaja Sarajevo. I think that most orchestras, that many 
orchestras, I won't say most, but I think that there are many who are making a conscious effort. I think, too, though, that they've got a challenge. Any arts organization have a challenge in balancing what they are trying to put on stage, what they are trying to put out there for their audiences with what's going to bring the audiences in. There is a level of, it's not as much a gender bias, but a new music bias. And a lot of the women composers that are coming out, it's new music. It may be, but I also don't see them looking back. I would I would be so thrilled to see orchestras doing symphonies by Louise Ferenc mm-hmm. not happening. There are plenty, not plenty, but there's a goodly sum of women not from the 20th and 21st century who are also being ignored in this process. They are, and I think that the arts organizations are missing an incredible opportunity because that music is a lot less risky than the newest Jennifer Higdon piece, the newest Libby Larson piece. That music is, if they choose it properly and promote it properly and program it appropriately on their programs, it will be much easier for them. It'll be much easier for them to publicize it and promote it as all the music of the 1700s, all the music of the 1800s, and gain more of an audience that way. So yes, I agree with you. I think they are missing a little bit of an opportunity there. So when you're putting together Feminine Fusion, Diane, how do you go about doing this? Where are you finding your ideas? Where are you finding your recordings? The recordings are a challenge. The first thing I look for is an idea. I basically choose a theme every week, and that helps me to narrow down the types of things that I'm looking for. For example, this week I just finished working on uh, folk tales, fables, and fairy tales. It's a subject that I've done in the past. I did a folk tales, uh, I did a folk tales episode last year and had the worst time finding recordings. So this time I reached out to some of my community members on Facebook and on some of the organizations I belong to and said, who has suggestions? Who has recordings? And I had a marvelous, marvelous response. So the more this is becoming known, the more opportunities I'm having from composers, from uh, conductors, from, um, from musicians who are sending me their recordings so that I'm able to use those. And the next thing I do is I hunt. I get on the internet. I spend more time researching a show than putting it together because once I've chosen the music, then it's just scripting it and recording it and doing the mechanics of putting it together. Where the fun is, is hunting things down. And this is how I got introduced to Gerilyn Johnson from the Black Pearl Orchestra. And they don't have a commercial recording, but I reached out to her. I was doing uh, a an episode on women of color who are conducting. And I found her name. I stumbled across Black Pearl Orchestra, and I reached out and I said, if you have any commercial recordings, she said, I don't have a commercial recording, but I have this one, which I will give you permission to use. And so that allows me, once I have that permission, 
to share some things that you're not going to hear otherwise. So how'd you get into radio? That was interesting. Uh, I was at Syracuse University in grad school. I uh, was one of the Billy Joel Fellows in the composition program there. And as I was getting out, I was looking to be a full-time composer, but I also thought, well, I, I made a promise to myself, and my husband and I discussed it at length. I wanted to make sure that any job I took was in the music industry. I kind of ascribe to the pen and Teller uh, philosophy. If I'm going to do it, it needs to be in this industry. I don't want to take a job. I was a very good executive secretary in banking, but I didn't want to take that and have it overtake my life so I could no longer participate in music the way I like to. So I just kept my eye on the local classical radio station, which was WCNY in Syracuse, and all of a sudden up popped uh, a job that said part-time fill-ins and weekends. And I watched that and I thought, oh, you know, I don't have any experience. They're not going to want me. I finally said, you know what? I might as well try. I went in. I read an audition script. And that's what I started doing, just part-time fill-ins. And eventually I got a weekend uh, gig. And I was doing all kinds of things when people were, were heading out and I eventually, when the midday host left, he said, you know, I'd really like you to step in for me middays. If I, I'm feeling much better about retiring if you can take over my shift. And that's how I wound up full time. And that's, I've been there about nine years now. So it's, it's a blast. How'd you pitch Feminine Fusion to the powers that be? That was a, that was a challenge. And I, this is where the secretarial part of me helps an awful lot. Kicked I, right in. It kicked right in. I did a, uh, a three-page proposal, which included a listing of the first six months of, of programs that I wanted to do. And uh, I did a 15-minute sample and said, I will do a one-hour pilot if you want, and really listed out all the reasons that the reason, the things that made this different from some of the other female-centric classical music shows because the other female-centric class classical music shows that I came across really concentrate on composers. And that's why I wanted to take this farther than just composers because I think that's critically important. There is such a great influence of women and I wanted, you know, as a composer, yeah, I'd love it for it to be all me all the time, but there are far more women influencing music and I wanted to be sure to be able to highlight that. So it was a it was a process, and it was several months. And I said, "This is what I want to do." And eventually, I would love to to put it up for syndication. And uh, I'm so thrilled that it is now starting to take off. I'm thrilled that WXXI wants to carry it. We're very happy to have it. Be honest, though, have you dropped one of your pieces in yet? I did. I did. Well, the, the opening to every Feminine Fusion episode, there's a 30-second snippet, which is one of my pieces. That's, that's my little theme song. So that's song. good. So you, you, you have the rights to that one. I do have the rights to that one. And uh, I had one episode where the focus was uh, I had read an essay. And this is sometimes where my ideas come. I had read an essay about why women will never be good composers. And it basically was a very horrible person who said women will never be good composers because they're simply incapable of it 
being a woman makes them absolutely incapable of, of composing anything worthwhile. And I will say at the end of that show, I put one of my pieces on, but I didn't tell anybody what it was. And I said, here is a piece. We've heard from men. Uh, you know, we've heard some, some pieces written by men. We've heard some pieces written by women. I'm going to put this piece here, and I challenge you to tell me if it's a man or a woman who wrote it. And I just left it at that. And so, yes, I, ha I, I did drop one of my pieces in once, but I, I don't... I don't like to do that very often. I, I really want to, to uplift other women and their accomplishments and their achievements. You were a Billy Joel fellow? I was. Did you meet him? I did not. I am still dying to, to meet him. He, he had uh, provided funding to, uh, was, I forget whether it was five or seven schools throughout New York for different programs. And he funded uh, the master's program for composers at Syracuse University, and I was one of the first two Billy Joel composers that, that got to take advantage of that, which is such a thrill for me because having gone back to school so late, I grew up with Billy Joel on my record player all the time. So it was a, it was a nice little way of coming around. How did your record player not break with all that weight of Billy Joel sitting <laughs> on it? Well, and, you know, this is one of those things. I admire Billy Joel because he will try anything and and try it unashamedly and that uh, doesn't always work and i that's that that's the thing i like is is people who are willing to to put themselves out there and to try and be willing to fail and be willing to fall and that's what that's what makes us better is is being ready to ready to succeed but willing to fall and you have now found your your second career as it were uh actually second and third career, in a business, in, in radio, and classical music seems to be uh, the best boosted by public radio. I think so. I think so. It, it is critical to have classical music in your life. People, we have a member who, uh, who calls up every now and then, and he relays the same story, and I absolutely love him. He says, you know, I used to listen to the rock and roll station, and I loved my rock and roll, and I still love my rock and roll. But I realized that every single song I heard, I knew it, even if I had never heard it before. I recognized the song, and I knew every single song, and I was getting bored. So I started listening to classical music with you guys. And I hear something new every day, and I hear something surprising every day, and it has opened up a whole new world to me. And that's, any music needs to do that. But I think classical music especially can, can do that for people. And there is such a wealth of music, hundreds of years of music that come out on your radio every single day. And I'm, I, I say it every time. I am so honored and privileged when someone turns on the radio and they invite me into their home and into their lives, even for a short time. All my responsibility then becomes being a good guest, being the person who helps to have a wonderful conversation with them and being a good guest and being grateful for them inviting me in. And, and that's what I love about classical music and, and being on the radio is people are inviting me into their lives. And that's an honor and a privilege. I'm very excited that you are opening this new world of women in music for us on Classical 91.5 with Feminine Fusion. Uh, thank you very much, Diane, for stopping by to talk. 
Thank you so much, Julia. I'm looking forward to hearing it on WXXI. Diane Jones's show, Feminine Fusion, can be heard on Saturday nights starting in April at 8 o'clock. It'll start on April 6th. I'm Julia Figueres. This podcast is a production of WXXI Public Broadcasting.